and welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Allison Tuttle, a wife and mother and the director of the Palatine Institute. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on A Court of Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute podcast on creating Christian culture. Today is the last episode of season four, and we have been discussing the church throughout this fourth season. And today we plan to discuss the kingdom and our hope. Yes, our hope. So let's start from the beginning. If you remember way back in episode one, we talked about the church as either a thermometer or a thermostat. Right from uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letters in a Birmingham, the Birmingham jail, and um, the the point in that was that the church has throughout its history been a thermostat to our culture, and yet of late it seems to be more like a a, a thermometer, just kind of measuring temperature rather than creating it being the the thing. So. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is we want the church to be that thermostat uh, as it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be salt and light in this world. We talked about a lot about the neglected and skewed doctrines of dominion, of evangelism, even of eschatology. Those were really great things. But I think, uh, in my opinion, I think the chief issue in American evangelicalism as to why we're not a thermostat in our country is a problem with eschatology. Can you define that word for people? Sure. Eschaton means is from a Greek word that means the end. So eschatology is the doctrine of last things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so people have, there, there are three main, three main eschatologies, I, I would say. And then one of those eschatologies has kind of two ways of looking at it. So, um, so the, the first one, and I'll use that and, and talk about the, the two different views of it is, uh, premillennialism. So the idea is in the book of revelation, there's this idea of a, a thousand year reign of Jesus and, um, the premillennial folks believe that Jesus will return to earth and then there'll be a thousand years of Jesus's reign on planet earth. Um, followed by a um, a judgment, you know, and then there's the resurrection and, or I mean the final, the final resurrection and and judgment and, and then new heavens, new earth. Um, The, there's a, there's a, a very modern view. (laughs) So historic, what I just described was the historic premillennial. Okay. The, the, the one that's dominant in our world today as evangelicals seems to be 
It's called dispensational premillennial view. And um, I, I have a lot of problems with it, and I, but I'm not going to go into it today. I, I know lots of great faithful people who are dispensational, and I'm fine with them. They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But this dominant view in American evangelicalism has this idea that the, the last days or, or the end of everything really is things are going to hell in a handbasket. And before the church of Jesus Christ suffers, it's going to be raptured, like brought up into heaven. And then there'll be these seven years of great tribulation. Then Jesus will come and have the millennium and then the, the final judgment at the end of the millennium. Uh, this view of uh, this dispensational view of the end times with a, this mysterious rapture of the church, those kinds of stuff, um, has, has not been along for, for very long at all but it's quickly become a very dominant position. Mm -hmm. The other two historical um, views have been all millennialism, which means that now that Jesus has uh, rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the father, he is reigning now. Mm -hmm. And so throughout history, what you'll see is times in which that millennial kingdom, like uh, relative uh, peace and, and um, knowledge of God uh, will, will kind of wax and wane throughout a period of time before Jesus returns. Okay. So the, and then there's, once he returns, then there's the last judgment, right? In other words, the millennium is happening now mm -hmm. and you see it in different places at different times. Okay. So you might look at like the time of the pilgrims you know, or uh, the Puritans in, in, um, mm -hmm. in America as a, a time where Christ was truly reigning in our society for, for a period of time. Um, you kind of look at America today as, you know, it's that, that cultural, uh, influence of the gospel in which we've had relative peace and prosperity is kind of, seems like it's coming to an end. Um, right. you, but then you look at China and China's like the, the growth of Christianity in China is outpacing its birth rate and that you could perhaps see in the future, some sort of downfall of communist China and a, and a reign of Christ in China for a while. Yeah. Like we, we've seen it in Europe. We've seen it right. And mm -hmm. Latin America and Africa, it's churches growing. Um, so, so that's been a, a state. Most of the reformers were all millennial. Okay. Um, and then the, the, the other one is called post-millennialism. Post-millennialism has this view. It's very similar to all millennialism. It just has the confident expectation that the kingdom of God will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And so that there'll be this uh, period of time where the whole earth is, is basically God's kingdom. And then at some point within that, um, Christ will return. Now, post-millennials don't, don't believe that every individual will be a Christian or anything, but that the gospel, the seed of the gospel has, has, um, the the fruit of it this this worldwide um christendom mm -hmm. uh will bring about uh, a great amount of peace and and uh, blessing to all the world uh, even if people aren't individually christian in it but then jesus will come so it's kind of like an optimistic <laughs> all millennialism yes right uh, so so those are the those are the main categories historic premillennialism all millennialism and post-millennialism all have a, an incredible um, understanding that God 
uh, has had the victory, right? His yes. son has conquered. He, all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. The only difference has to do with the expectation of what the millennium looks like, mm-hmm. right? So there's, um, so it is a, a world conquering faith. The, the trouble is in our modern American evangelicalism is the dispensational view is almost like, you know, Jesus came and he didn't quite win. Yeah. And so, you know, at certain times there'll be some blessing and other times not, but what we can all count on is that, um, things are going to go bad Mm -hmm. and then Jesus has to come and rescue us once again. But that's, that's the idea. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a few things that's a, that are, that is a problem with it, um, in how the modern iteration of it. Now, again, I don't, if you hold this view, I don't think it has something to do with salvation. I, I, the, the problem is, um, well, there's three, I think one is the modern evangelical in America, um, doesn't have a sufficient understanding of Jesus's victory. I think it has a skewed hope. And I think that it, um, that we're watching for our Lord's return wrongly. I think those are the three main issues. And I will say this, this might not be just amongst dispensational premillennials. It, it might be amongst the amillennials and, you know, everyone, except for the post-millennials, the post-millennial people are very optimistic. Yes, they are. And, and, uh, but amongst all millennials, amongst the historic premills, there, there's just this, I want to say a defeatism. Uh-huh. And I think it's because we have a, a, our eschatology is off. Yeah. And it's, Doug Wilson always says, theology comes out your fingertips. Yes. And you see this in yeah. this, in this, um, or, or around this, this topic. Yeah. It really affects how people live yeah. their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, let me give you a, just a, a brief example of that. Okay. America was founded by Christians and deists. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful, been a wonderful system of government governance. Um, I think that it has been a, a great place that American Christianity has flourished and done lots of great things. The, the preponderance of missionaries that have come from the United States to evangelize the world has just been incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just been incredible, but the city of God and the city of man have both been part of, right. As Christians, we like to point to 1620 mm-hmm. and the, the landing of the, the uh, pilgrims at Plymouth rock uh, who wanted to come and, and establish a city on the Hill, mm-hmm. a, a Christian community and the Puritans after them at Massachusetts Bay colony. Um, but there's also Jamestown that happened and their main motivation was to find gold. Now they were Christians and they wanted to live a Christian life, you know, but the motivation wasn't, we're, we're here to establish Christendom. Right. It was, we see a lot of opportunity and we want to get rich. Yeah. Personal peace and affluence. Personal peace and affluence. Of course it didn't work well for them. It was, it was very <laughs> hard, you know, but great things happen in Jamestown. You know, the, if you go to our cat nation's capital, I mentioned this before you go to our nation's capital, there's these eight main, big portraits of American history that the, that at some point in our history, we deemed these were important milestones in the founding of America. One of them is the pilgrims praying at 
uh, Plymouth Rock, mm-hmm. like uh, the Mayflower Compact, they're praying. And another one is um, George Washington praying before he crosses the Delaware. And a third one, another one that's often overlooked was the baptism of Pocahontas. And that mm-hmm. happened at Jamestown, right? That these are three of the, the now today in the year of our Lord, 2023, um, you would get probably laughed at. Like, why was the baptism of Pocahontas? It's almost sacrilege. It's almost sacrilege. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Culturally. Oh, she was this oppressed person and da, 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 da. You, you hear about Thanksgiving. You never hear about Squanto anymore because he was a Christian. And the reason he helped the pilgrims is because he recognized brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we, we no longer tell history, but the Christian Christians will, will want to err on the side of like, this is, this is America is the city of God. It's the kingdom of God. And then secularists will go, no, 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 it's this, this other thing. And the truth is it's been both. And at different times in our history, we have these amazing things of, you know, testimonies of God's grace in our country. And other times we see the horrific aspects of it, you know, the uh, chattel slavery and, um, you know, the Dred Scott decision and all these abortion and, and all these horrid things. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that this is, this has both been going on since the beginning. And here we go. Ready? America is not the kingdom of God. Right. When America bows its knees to the Lord Jesus Christ, that that's one thing. But to live in a in this, you know, it there are idols within America that will topple. And when we see America run after these idols and you see the down, the, the decline of it, you have some people's eschatology going, oh no, um, you know, it's almost like Christ's kingdom is at, is uh, jeopardized here by the decline of America. And so that they're hoping that before things get too bad, they'll just be taken out. Yeah. God, Jesus will just rapture us out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, rather than from a, say like a, all millennial or even a post-millennial view, it's all the idols are destined for destruction. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. All the kingdoms of the world have been given to Christ. They're his. And if we're not bowing our knee, kiss the son, lest he be angry mm-hmm. and destroy you in his way. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that the decline of America is, um, is uh, going to reveal the justice of God or, and this is our hope, the mercy of God in seeing uh, the conversion of people within our country and that the, the powers of our state and our nation will bend the knee to Jesus. Yeah. This is what the Palatine Institute is all about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's our goal. It is our goal. Mm-hmm. It, it, <clears throat> okay. Christian nationalism. Ooh, right. This is the, the big thing. So I, I am just, it boggles my mind, Allison, <laughs> that people hear the, the idea of Christian nationalism as if the idea of having a nation that uh, openly acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ is somehow not good. Or new. Or new. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like crazy. That's how he started over it's here. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I know. I know. It's, it is just crazy. How many state constitutions start off in their preamble of giving thanks to God. Right. 
right? Probably all of them. I mean, that's yeah. a guess, but I'm guessing it's all yeah. of them. Yeah, Wisconsin's does. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is this? This is, what's new is secularization. The right. secularization of our world is new. This, the forced, you know, jamming down our throats, the morality of pagan, atheists, yeah. se- secularists. Yeah. That's new. Right. Um, reforming our laws to no longer reflect God's word and to make it, uh, making a sin a right mm-hmm. of the people. That's new. All of that's new, which is why I think, if I might say, many people probably in our audience are afraid that uh, this is the end. Right. And that Jesus is going to come back anytime soon. But let, let me tell you, um, as someone who's not there, I'm a, I have over my life, I've been everything. I think I'm a pan millennialist. It'll all pan <laughs> out in the end. No, um, I am. I have waffled between uh, uh, optimistic all millennialism and post millennialism. And I'm pretty convinced now scripturally that uh, post millennialism is the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's just also the idea that the kingdom of God, which started out as a mustard seed and is growing and expanding, it's still early in the church age. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's only been a couple thousand years. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. It's only been a couple thousand years. It, it might be another 4,000 years before Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. I know that no one, <laughs> you didn't hear that in Sunday school. <laughs> it might be. I don't know. Um, we should always be prepared for his return, mm-hmm. his imminent return, whatever, whenever that is. Right. But it could be 4,000 years from now. Um, the, the point is, is that, my hope isn't in America. My hope isn't in my own personal peace and affluence. Mm-hmm. My hope isn't that we elect some new leader to the White House or to the state or whatever who's going to turn things around, whatever. My hope is in God and his word. Right. And and so if so let's let's talk like kind of these three points that I had made. Let's, yeah. We'll talk through them. So first of all, you know, we don't have a sufficient understanding of Jesus's victory. Okay. I think every one of us in our listening audience who is a Christian called by his name would understand that he had victory over sin, death, and hell on the cross. Like he died and rose again. And that, that, that was the Holy Spirit's vindication that Jesus's atoning sacrifice was uh, accepted by the father. Mm Mm-hmm. And that means we have salvation. Mm-hmm. Amen and amen. Yes, I, yes, we yes. can talk about that all the time. That's that is gospel truth. There's no question of that. Um, he has victory over sin, death, and hell. The part that I think we sometimes get a little bit confused is that he also has victory over the cosmic forces of evil, mm-hmm. like all of it, like all authority, power thrones, dominions, everything, every spiritual thing, including Satan has been defeated by Jesus's death and resurrection. Yeah. And that Satan's been cast out of heaven, the heavenly realms. Mm -hmm. He no longer has access to God to accuse us before the father. Um, Instead, we have Jesus, his son sitting at his right hand, interceding on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So it used to be that Satan can kind of go and say, Hey, have you considered my servant, Ron? You know, the, like in Job, That's like in did. Job yeah. and then Satan going, Oh, Ron is, he's such a horrible person. You know, you should smite him, <laughs> smite, 
right? Because I deserve it. I mean, right? I mean, it's not like Satan's lying. Right. We that. all do. Yeah. We all deserve God's wrath. Yes. And and uh, and there was times like in Job where God allowed this testing, like go go test him. Mm-hmm. So you know he's he's faithful. But now what happens is um, Satan's accusations are trying to give us our guilt trips to make us think that somehow our sin has separated us from God, even though Christ has, mm-hmm. right? That all I need to do, I just need to rest, receive and rest Jesus for salvation. Right. And so Jesus is up there next to the father going, Hey, you know, Ron, he's covered. He's one of ours. So G- when the father looks at me, he sees his son mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm secure in that. Like there's nothing that's going to separate me from that love. It is. Um, so Satan is powerless to accuse us before the father. He can try to, he has his methods. He tries to trick us all the time. Um, all those types of things, but he is a defeated foe. He is running around like a, a lion trying to devour us because he's a defeated. Yeah. And he's, he knows he's on the clock. Yeah. He only has a certain amount of time left. Yeah. So today, like today I spoke at chapel at Providence Academy and, and the text that um, the chaplain there, Chris Steinbarger gave me was the song of Moses. So the people of God crossed the Red Sea mm-hmm. and then they sing the song. And one of the things that's in it I find is just fascinating is, you know, the sea um, has always been this understanding. You'll see this throughout scripture, this a symbol, you might say, of uh, cosmic, the, co- the, uh, the, the cosmic forces of chaos and evil, mm-hmm. right? And, the, and in the pagan worldview in the ancient Near East, um, all their myths have these struggles against the sea monsters and against the you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the sun goes down, their God is wrestling with the forces of chaos and evil in the sea, because that's what they see. They see the sea, go, the sun going down into, you know, the sea. into the sea. Yeah. And then it comes up the next day, victorious, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, and often it's the storm God, you know, the, and the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian Sumerian and myths, you know, that it, Marduk comes and blows all his winds into the, the mouth of Tiamat. It's this great epic struggle. In the Song of Moses, it says that um, God splits the sea, defeating the forces of chaos and evil, just like he defeated the personal gods of Egypt in the plagues. Yep. Now he's defeating the, the forces of chaos and evil with a blast from his nostril. Now think about it, a blast from his nostril. God did not even have to work hard. Mm-hmm. He didn't have, he didn't blow this mighty wind, right? He didn't like have to huff and puff to, to battle the, it wasn't this epic struggle with the forces of chaos and evil. God did it with a blast of his nostril. This, this is the God we worship. We look at our world and we go, Oh no, look at all the forces of chaos and evil. Look how horrible things are. Look at, it's not even it's not hard for God. Right. The victory's already won. And we stand in that victory. Now, our struggles might seem hard to us. Mm-hmm. And and that's true. Like we just have to be faithful. We need to keep keep moving. So the victory of Jesus is the victory over cosmic forces of evil. And and he is one. And then remember, after before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says to us, all authority. All authority 
in heaven. That's in all the, the spiritual realm. All authority has been given to Jesus. And on earth, all authority has been given to him. Mm-hmm. Satan, when he took him and tempted him and said, hey, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you that if you bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't say, well, you don't own those. No, it was true. At that time, right. Satan was the ruler of the world. He is not anymore. Mm-hmm. Jesus won the victory. All authority has been given. Our proclamation of the gospel is saying, look, our king is here and he's won. And all the all the nations on the earth are now his. And we need to submit to, to our king. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's a wonderful submission. Mm-hmm. We can be free from the forces of chaos and evil. We can be free from our sin. We can be free from uh, death and, and uh, hell. All that is just, it's just a wonderful gospel. We just need to submit. And as the church, we have to have confidence. That's true. Mm-hmm. And we should just preach the gospel and live it out as we've talked about in previous episodes. So, so one is we don't have a sufficient understanding of Jesus's victory. Jesus did not lose. He did not lose, and he's not coming back in order to pick up the pieces of a defeated world and a defeated church, right? He's coming back because he reigns and rules now, mm-hmm. and whether the millennium is after that come return or before that or happening right now, I, to me, I, it doesn't matter. I, I believe it's happening now. The, the point is, is that he has won the victory. Yeah. Like when you look at what Jesus explains about his kingdom, none of it goes, the kingdom of God is like this. Um, I came with a good idea and people are supposed to have this good personal idea about having a relationship with me, but there's going to be a lot of hard times and things are going to be really bad, but then I'll come again and make it better. (laughs) Right? Right. No, that's not what he says. It's like a mustard seed, but this, this, Kingdom of God grows to be the big thing in the garden where even the birds of the air come, which that's the idea of people that aren't, mm-hmm. don't know him, that aren't converted. Mm-hmm. Even they are going to find shelter within this kingdom. Mm-hmm. It, it is a, a glorious one. It's, it is like a, um, uh, it, it's like, you know, back to Daniel where the, the kingdoms of the world are the statue and this this stone comes from the mountain. It smashes them all, but that stone grows into being a mountain that covers the whole earth. That's that's the kingdom of God, and we think the kingdom of God is what America? No, no, it's not America. It's greater than that. It's bigger than that. Here's the other part. Uh, let's let's go to skewed skewed hope. Okay, American evangelicals. I think their hope is being put on this idea that they're not going to have to suffer. Right. I mean, we sort of live immersed in this idea that we avoid suffering at all costs. At all costs. Yeah. And um, so for instance, um, the, the thought of the thought of taking a stand for what is true and right and good, it might cost you something. Mm-hmm. And we don't like that idea. And so because we don't do that, because we don't want to risk our a loss of a job or a loss of reputation or a loss of, uh, of, you know, our social media's opinion or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. We, we shut up and don't say anything. And then when we see evil triumphing, we think, Oh, 
look, that confirms my eschatology. <laughs> Things are going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. You know, I can't wait till I'm raptured out of here. The, the point is, is that if we're not willing to, to be obedient to God, which means we obey God and not man, and we stand up and say, no, this is wrong. I'm not going to do it. We should, we should be okay with receiving the consequences of others, like, you know, getting fired from our job, mm-hmm. right? To say, no, this isn't right, and I'm not going to do it. Like, that's what we need to do. Yeah. And the reason why we're falling so fast, so quickly, is because the Church of Jesus Christ has refused to do it. And by the Church of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking pastors, and although there are a lot of pastors who have refused to speak up about things, I'm talking about the, the people yeah, all of us. Us. As a as a group. As a group. Yeah. Yeah. And and so um we our hope is that we don't have to suffer. Well, in this world, Jesus said. Right. We were we will have trouble. Yes. And I guess we we don't like that, so we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um the second is um American evangelicals are hoping that they can remain passive and respectable. Like that's more, we have, we have more concern about our own personal peace and affluence, our own, um, life style, life thing than we are with, with God's plan for the world. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't really think about it. It doesn't affect yeah. our decisions. Yeah. We're just thinking about yep. us. And, and so because we're just thinking about ourselves and not about the world, we're, we're not getting involved in the world or trying to change the world mm-hmm. or, you know, do things. We're instead hoping that if we just elect the right people, then they're going to change things to make it more comfortable for us. Right. Is it, right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's, that's not good. And then finally, our, our, um, our, our hope needs to be in Jesus and faith in him. Uh, which includes the victory that he has over all these things. Right. That's our hope is his, is Jesus and his victory, not in our own comfort or, or peace. Uh-huh. So our, our hope is skewed. And I, and I just want to say um, this, this view of like um, American evangelicalism and in, in the, the fall of like mistaking America for like this special I mean, I, I love America. Don't get me wrong. I, I, we have a flag in our, at our house. I have a son who's in the military. I, we're, we're very pro American, but I don't confuse it with the kingdom of God. Right. And, um, when we think that everything's going to hell in a handbasket, therefore the end times are happening and that Jesus is going to rescue us. We're neglecting what's going on in the rest of the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Africa just growing leaps and bounds in the Christian faith. We see in South America also. We see in China. We see all these places in which the kingdom of God is still in a a sprout and not that big tree yet. Yeah. You know, um, so I've spent some time overseas, like in developing countries. Yeah. And um, like even in college, I lived for a week in like a house made out of mud. and. I finished that time feeling like these people have something I will never have, which is this genuine hope in, um, in the life to come 
because of their deprivation of comfort now, you know? And so I, I don't know, there is something about, you know, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I feel like this is sort of what we're talking about. Yeah. Like comfort and wealth can get in our way. Yeah. And and it seems like they have, you know. And, and let's, let's be honest here. We will often choose our theology based upon our, what we're predisposed to hear. Mm-hmm. And let me say that again. We are likely to choose our theology based on what we're predisposed to hear. So if we are about personal peace and affluence and we are a little bit frightened about what's going on in the world, and I hear and I begin to hear from a preacher trying to fit the book of Revelation into our current situation and giving us this promise of uh, escape, I, I would probably gravitate towards mm-hmm. that. Uh, people don't want to say, hey, you need to take a stand and you might suffer for this. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's not a crowd gatherer. Right. Um, and also, and also, uh, this is going to sound really weird. This goes to point three. We're watching for our Lord's return wrongly. Like I remember as a child, um, I grew up in a church that had a lot of people reading. We were reading Hal Lindsey's like late great planet earth. And, uh, there's a new world coming. And these, these, um, these ideas that we're trying to say, okay, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev is the antichrist because he has a mark on his forehead, you know, those types of things. Yeah. Uh, reading about how the, you know, these helicopters could be the locust demons in, in revelation and trying to make these one-on-one correspondence and putting and all the time and all the effort trying to look at this and then being convinced that there's these, you know, secret societies out there who are satanic who are going to try to execute all these plans. And all it did was make the people in our church afraid and they thought there's nothing they can do. And so they didn't do anything yeah. other than send money so that overseas missions can happen. Mm. Okay. What if instead of spending all that time looking through newspapers and, and news stories, trying to make uh, sense of the end times, according to whatever's popular now, because this has been going on for quite a long time. Right. Sort of like the flavor of the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh the Soviet union collapsed. Oh, well, we got to rethink our eschatology, right? Or we need to reform. Okay. It's going to come back. And Vladimir Putin is the, right. Mm -hmm. It's it folks, this is like crazy. Why are we doing this? We're spending all this time trying to look for quote prophecy fulfillment rather than um, doing what God has commanded us to do. And that is to have dominion, right. And to be obedient and to have faith and, and to do, you know, so it's uh. It, to me, it's, it's a, it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me ask you this, um, Allison, do you know when Jesus is going to return? No, I don't. You don't, you know what? I don't either. You know what? All the Bible prophecy people that I've heard over the years and still hear from time to time. And I still have people who will send me links to videos or to, to stuff. You know what? All of them don't know either. Right. Does Jesus know? No, no. He says that he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but we're supposed to be watchful, correct? That's, I mean, this is Jesus teaches us we should be watchful. Yeah. So talk about that. Cause I think 
That's important to understand. What does that mean? Yes. It, it means that to be watchful means to be being diligent and doing what God has commanded us to do. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not about watching in the sky for the Lord's return. It's about doing the work of the church, the work of the church. Yeah. Right. So even the angels, like when Jesus went up in and he says, they say, you know, he's going to come back that way. Mm -hmm. He's his, he goes, why are you looking up there? (laughs) People, why are you looking up there? Do what he's told you to do. It's it's like, okay, I have kids and, you know, most of them are grown, but I, I remember when they were young, we, we tell them, Hey, I'm going to go, here's your chores. You need to do X, Y, and Z. And I walk out the door and you know what they're doing? Not doing what they're asked. They're kind of looking around. To, what can I get away with? Yeah. Uh, the car starts to come down the, you know, turns the corner and they see it. Okay, everyone. Frantically get to work. Frantically trying to do that last minute thing so they won't get in trouble when he comes, right? I I think that's what Jesus is saying. Like, no, don't do that. Yeah. Don't be faithful. Yeah. So there there is a a story in uh, where Congress was in session, evidently, and there was this comet or some sort of sign in the sky. You know, this was a long time ago. And, um, everyone's looking at it and they're like, you know, is this Jesus returning? Like, is this the end of the world? Is this, and someone called out, well, if it is him, we should get back to work because we want him to see us being faithful, being faithful. Yeah. People. Yes. Being faithful. Yes. That's, that's what being watchful is, is about faithfulness. Watch your life. Watch what you're doing. Watch that you're being obedient. Read. God's word, and then do what he is saying to do. That's the idea of being watchful. It's not looking for, you know, whether this new Russian leader is the person or maybe it's, you know, someone else. Like, yeah. like all throughout history, there's people trying to th- determine who's the Antichrist or who's this or who's that. Please, people. It's been a grand waste of time. It has been a grand waste of yeah. time. And don't you want it like on the other side of glory? Be numbered among those who did not waste the time they were yes. given. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so imagine, imagine, um, you know, all the prophecy cons- conferences. And I, I know I'm, I, I have loved ones. I have people in my extended family. Like this is a big deal. Imagine if those conferences had to do with, how can we start a Christian school in our area? How can we minister to those who are disabled? Mm-hmm. A conference that talks about how can we reach this population group with the gospel? How, what if we could? Yeah. How can we be faithful how in this can we arena be faithful? or another? Yeah. How can good church people who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, pursuing eldership in the church, how can, how can we convince them to run for public office? Mm. How can we, right? Mm-hmm. Those are things that, that those would be a great use of time. Yeah. Again, over and over again, I go, you know what? Roe versus Wade was overturned by our Supreme court. Incredible. Incredible. Not a single evangelical Christian on there. Yeah. None. Zero. No one's even close. Why? Because I I don't know, maybe those potential Supreme court justices were looking in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Like why the, the statement I used to hear when I was a kid is why would you want to, 
polished brass on a sinking ship. Well, if that's your eschatology, then that's, I mean, it speaks for itself. Right. But look at what can be done when you actually work. Like they did overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. 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 And I mean, think of, think of when the Bible was written, when it was being written, you had literally your life was in danger you know, especially under the reign of Nero. And then later on, there are other Roman who are, they'll persecute, Mm -hmm. you know, in a hundred years in or less than a hundred years in, you know, they're, they're feeding Christians to the lions and for sport. Right. (laughs) The emperor Nero literally took Christians and dipped them in oil and then um, lit lit them on fire to light his dinner parties. And, and yet people we're convinced that Jesus won mm-hmm. and he did, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it just took a few hundred years. And then the Roman empire is being ruled by a, a Christian emperor. Yep. And it just, it's just incredible. And this is story after study history, people story after story of God doing these amazing things through, through ordinary people. And then seeing these, conversions and changes and and things like that. So my, I mean, I look at the world right now and it, and it is, things are going wacky. It's stupid. I mean, it, it is, um, it is, and they're making it incredibly easy for us to present an alternative, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and a way of life that actually is life giving. Yeah. It's a, it, today is probably the best time to be a Christian and to make an impact in our world mm-hmm. right now, right, right now, not yeah. in the fifties. Cause the building has been torn down. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this incredible There's, opportunity yeah. to rebuild he, secularist humanism. Ta-da. See how that's worked. How's it going for you? It's horrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> Think of how many people are anxious. How many people are, uh, they're, they're, and they're killing themselves. It's so bad. Right. And we have this great gospel. And when we huddle together to look through the scriptures to find out what dictator is going to be the Antichrist and how are the, I, oh, come on, people. Right? Do be faithful. Yeah. Watch. So we're separating ourselves from the world for our own sake and not for the sake of the world. That's mm-hmm. the other part. Mm-hmm. It is good to come out of the world, but not for our own sake. It's for the sake of the world. Yes. So there has to be a, well, what does it look like to be a Christian? And if, and if we are mimicking the world, they, the world's not going to see any difference. Right. But if we separate ourselves from the world for the sake of the world, that is to show them what it looks like to be a Christian and to live in Christian community and then to continue to invite them in. Mm-hmm. How great is that? Yeah. It's my life for yours. Yeah. Have you seen the Jesus revolution? Nope. Okay. I, I did. Wendy and I went, uh, my wife and I went on, um, and, and part of the reason is, is I, I, for a time when I was in college, I went to a Calvary chapel. Mm-hmm. And so all these names, you know, Chuck Smith and, um, even, uh, uh, um, the Frisbee, uh, you know, the hippie guy and, uh, Greg Laurie. I mean, I, these are people whose names I knew yeah. and they were kind of larger than life. And, um, and so I, I wanted to see the movie and I just, I just loved it. But there's this one scene 
in which um, uh, the uh, Frisbee is, is with Chuck Smith, the pastor, this hippie with the pastor. And he's explaining to him, like, my generation is lost. They're looking for truth. Mm -hmm. How are they going to know unless they hear? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to walk into a church unless the door is open to us? And then he says this powerful thing to the Pat, to Chuck Smith. He says, is your door open? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he opened the door to all these hippies and they started coming in and people in the church were upset mm. and some of them walked away, but not all of them. Thank God. And so part of, part of what I have to say in this, your life for mine, separate ourselves from the world, demonstrate to the world what, for the sake of the world, what it means to live according to God's word yeah. and invite them in. Yeah. I know Rosario Butterfield has this great way of talking about it. She says, you take a stranger, you bring them in and you make them a friend and then they become a brother or sister Yeah, eventually. Like that's the yes. goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now here, here we go. This is one of my concerns is even as we're speaking, there's, you know, the revivalists out there, the Asbury, I think, and it's evidently spreading to other campuses. And I'm, I have no problem with the people having these experiences, as long as they understand that's the means to an end, it's not the end. Right. Right. Good. Good on them that they're having these opportunities of confession of sin and praise and worship and, and extended, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Um, <clears throat> here, here's my concern. Th this isn't the first time that's happened. I mean, the Jesus revolution is, mm -hmm. is the time when things like that happen. Um, all these things happen and they happen from time to time. But I think, a lot of people have in their mind that we need this catalyst or there's going to be this one thing. And we're just waiting for this one thing to happen. This, this outpouring, or I don't know, whatever it is, it's mm -hmm. just going to, it's going to transform everything. And, and every time something like this happens, then everyone's disappointed B because while there's this good about it, it's, it's a means to an end. Mm -hmm. It, all revival, um, it, it has some fruit, but lasting fruit is tends to be reformation. And that takes a lot of work mm -hmm. and effort of ordinary people doing ordinary things. It's just being faithful, right? being watchful. Yeah. And so uh, my hope is that as our, our churches, um, we begin to look for the Lord's return in a right way. That is being watchful of our lives and what we ought to do for the sake of the world and, um, and to be diligent in that faithfulness. Yeah. And as people, maybe they experience some sort of revival or I don't know, refreshing or whatever the lingo is that's being used um, at places like uh, Asbury or other places that, um, that it would turn their hearts to the Lord to be obedient to his word and to want to mm -hmm. love their neighbor in <laughs> the ways in which God has ordained told us to. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because here's, um, you, you know, in our, our church, we've been looking at first Timothy and uh, in this last Sunday, we were looking at how there are people within the church in Ephesus who were um, basically, you know, if you're going to be a real Christian, a super Christian, you should abstain from marriage and you should abstain from foods. And mm -hmm. like you're marking your, you're doing things to kind of mark yourself off to, 
Right. And, and one of the hardest things I think for you, especially for young people to understand is what God wants for you is not to be some sort of radical, different, you know, person who the, the, the demands of the world are not as if marriage isn't a good thing that we should pursue, Right. that having a job isn't a good thing to pursue Yeah. about making sure your room is clean and taking out the garbage is some sort of evil that's separating you from God and his purpose. Right. Right. So it, it is, um, it is this idea of like, uh, revival can bring people to this idea of, of the reality of God and their need to confess and to worship and praise him and stuff. But the, the idea is that you're not, you're not supposed to be living on a mountain, mm-hmm. right? He, Jesus and the disciples who saw the trans, him transfigured, they had to go down to the valley. It's mm-hmm. just, that's where life is lived. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's work. Right. So, so. Yeah. Maybe the catalyst, we need to see our mundane faithfulness as the catalyst. Amen. Yeah. Our mundane faithfulness. Yeah. And we, and because here it is, it's, it's all these things through our mundane faithfulness, God works extraordinary results. Yes. It's all God. Mm-hmm. Right? We're just simply being, we're just responding in obedience mm-hmm. and gratitude and joy and and it's and it's good mm-hmm. it's all good ladies and gentlemen it's all good so i i, I guess to to kind of con- conclude yeah. this here is this the church needs to be a thermostat not a thermometer and it's only going to be a thermostat when we're faithful mm-hmm. god has won the victory through his son jesus christ let's submit to him let's Let's search diligently in the scriptures about how we ought to live, uh, apply those things to our lives and to our world. And, uh, and in those, that joyful acceptance of his salvation, we will build a great Christian community. And that's going to make a huge difference in our world. Right. Because this is the trajectory of the gospel. Yeah. And the way that God has built it, yes. put it together. Yeah. That's, that's his plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so have confidence Lord or uh, uh, people in, in the Lord and his victory. That's, that's what true hope is. Let's hope rightly. Let's watch rightly. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's understand rightly that the victory has been Jesus. All authority has been given to him on heaven and earth, whether he comes tomorrow or 2000 years or 4,000 years from now, know that um, we're on the winning side. And let's live accordingly and not be afraid. Amen. Amen. Amen.